Today's scripture reading comes from Judges chapter 3, verses 12 to 30. You can read along on page 7 in your bulletins or on the screen. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. And they took possession of the city of the Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, Quiet, and all his attendants left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out of his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the door, doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fall into the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down, and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. And this is God's word. We're continuing our sermon series on God's presence in our brokenness. And today's passage in Judges 3 gives us really a, a clear picture of how God is present and works through our brokenness and our weakness. And so today we're going to look at the story of Ehud. Ehud is described as a left-handed man. And during the times of the Old Testament, to be left-handed meant you were weak, you were broken, you were not like the rest of society. Everyone was right-handed. And to be right-handed meant you were strong, you were powerful, you knew how to ru rule your life with the iron fist. And so Judges is a book that takes place right after Moses um, really bringing the Israelites into the promised land. 
And all throughout Scripture and all throughout the Old Testament, we see that uh, God is in a covenant relationship with him and his people. Now, for those of us who are married or those of us who are planning on getting married, uh, to be in a covenant with your spouse means that you're fully committed to them. It means that you're faithful to them. It means you're in union with them. It means that you're one with one another. And so God's covenant relationship with his people was perfect because God himself is perfect. He was perfectly faithful. He was perfectly loving. He was perfectly gracious and perfectly merciful. But what do we see throughout the Old Testament? We see that despite God's uh, kindness, mercy, grace, and love to his people, uh, his people will continue to sin and rebel against him. They would worship idols and they would um, fall in love with uh, worldliness. They would fall in love with the things that serve them the most. And so God is so gracious that he actually gives them the very things that they wanted. The Israelites were captivated by the world, and now that they were in the world's captivity. They were handed over to an evil king who, who ruled over them with a strong right hand. You see, God's people uh, would constantly sin throughout the Old Testament, and God would respond by giving them what they want. And they were always um, captivated by enemy nations. They were handed over to the enemy, and then they would be in oppression. And after they were enslaved and in oppression, God's people would cry out to the Lord. And then God would eventually deliver them a rescuer and a savior. And here in Judges 3, we see God raise up a rescuer who doesn't look conventional. He doesn't look like your typical hero. He actually leads the Israelites by using his weakness. And so today we're going to look at three things from Judges 3. First, we're going to look at the ruler. Second, we're going to look at the rescuer. And third, we're going to look at the escape. The ruler, the rescuer, and the escape. Now, first, the ruler. Remember, Judges 3 takes place right after the period of Joshua's death. Joshua had replaced Moses as the leader and representative for Israel. And so at this time, the Israelites had no leader. They had no king. They had no representative. And even today, nations and countries are represented by their leaders. And yet here in Judges 3, Israel has no leader. They had no direction. They didn't know where to go. They were lost. And in their lostness, although they knew God, they worshipped idols. Now, today, we might not worship physical idols like statues in the Old Testament, but we certainly do worship something. In fact, Scripture teaches us that our hearts are centered around what we worship. For some of us, our worship, our center, is consumed by our careers. Our worship and our center, center is consumed by our relationships, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our friendships. For some of us, our worship and our center is centered around our wealth. Whatever it is that you worship, whatever it is that your life is centered around, it's going to consume you. And we see that here in Judges 3. In Judges 3, because of Israel's sin and rebellion, their idol worship, because their lives were centered on things apart from God, God actually gave them what they wanted. 
and they were captivated and took, taken captive by, by Eglon, the king of Moab. We see, though, throughout this entire text that God demonstrates his covenant faithfulness, especially amidst our covenant failures. And so God's people, the Israelites, are taken captive by Eglon, the king of Moab. And here, if you, if you notice, Eglon is described as the king of Moab all throughout this text. And what the author is trying to tell us here is that Eglon found his identity and his sense of worth as his, in his title, as king of Moab. He was centered and his life was encompassed by his role and his position and his power. He's also described as a very fat man. Now, the author of Judges is trying to be funny. He's saying, look at this king with all of his wealth, with all of his fatness, with all of his resources. By the end of this chapter, the king dies. His position, his status, his wealth, his resources could not protect him from death. Now, the name Eglon, when you translate it from the Hebrew, actually means young cow. And the author is literally calling the king of Moab a fat young cow. And so on one hand, he's making fun of him. He's saying, look at this king who's about to die. But the Bible actually teaches us that not only does it show his affluency, his wealth, the resources that he has, a young fattened cow, cow was used when God made a covenant with his people. Early on in the book of Genesis, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he tells Abraham to bring a young fat cow and to slaughter it and to cut it in half. And this was a sign of the covenant. Blood had to be spilled for God to be in relationship with his people. And a young fat cow was a, a sign of resource. We have to remember food was not available the ways that food is available to us now. And so to give up a young fat cow, to give it up to make a sacrifice, to make a covenant with God, meant that they were sacrificing what they had, their resources. They were giving it up. And that sign of a covenant, that animal was split in half. Why? So that access to God would be there. The young fattened cow was also used as a sacrifice all throughout the Old Testament. So when God's people and the Israelites would sin against God, when they would rebel against God, they would pay back by giving up a young cow. And so Judges 3 here is saying, this sacrifice, this sign of the covenant will be offered up for the freedom, for the deliverance, and the salvation of my people. Eglon was so consumed by his identity, was so consumed by his title and his position as the king of Moab that he was completely bind to the danger that was right in front of him. And so Eglon was unable to see the reality underneath the visible reality that was right in front of him. There was danger looming. He couldn't see that in the presence of Ehud, this weak man, his life was in danger. And Eglon was also alone in this moment. Remember, Ehud comes and he offers a tribute and he goes to Eglon the king and he says, I have a secret message for you. I have a message from God for you. 
Eglon was so consumed with himself that he actually believed that he deserved the secret message that Ehud was offering. And so he tells his servants to leave. He silenced them and he kicks them out of the room. You see, for Eglon, his relationships uh, weren't genuine friendships with anybody. Earlier on in the text, it says that he, he partnered with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, all for the sole purpose to take over Israel. And so his relationships with other tribes were only meant to serve his own personal agenda. He was oppressive over an entire nation of Israel. And so he's ruling over them, reigning over them, oppressing them. People were just objects to Eglon. Eglon had servants who didn't love him but feared him. And so when he silenced them and kicked them out of the room, he was alone. There was nothing that Eglon could do in the face of danger. All of the things that he trusted in up to this point actually brought him to that danger. Friends, Judges 3 teaches us something so important that we oftentimes don't hear. That our strengths actually lead us to death. The things that we trust in in order for us to have value, worth, and a sense of a greater identity actually take away from our humanity. We're so consumed with the things of this world, whether it's our careers, our education, our relationships, our reputations, our families, our standing amongst communities, that we forget what it means to be weak and needy people, dependent on God. Eglon was a king who was spiritually fat. He was consumed by the things that he was materially consuming. What are the things that you're consumed by? What are your crowns in your life? What are the thrones that make you feel like you're above other people? The conclusion of the story, uh, I don't mean to ruin it, although we know what happens, is the king dies. We have to realize that for Eglon, the reason for his death was his full dependence on his pedigree, his position, his resources. He was blind to the danger that was in front of him. And in fact, when he was plunged with a dagger, his fat enclosed over that knife and they couldn't pull it out. It was the very thing that, that Eglon trusted in that actually led him to his death. Friends, what are you trusting in right now that is giving you that sense of worth, that is telling you that you are okay, that is making you feel bigger than the people that God has placed in your life, that is actually leading you to be a harsh and oppressive person. God uses the weak to really show how powerful he is. And he shows us by raising up a deliverer for his people to defeat the oppressive king. So secondly, we're going to look at the rescuer. We're going to look at the rescuer Ehud. Now, the Israelites are taken captive, they're enslaved, they're oppressed by, by Eglon and Moab, and they're under the rule and authority of Eglon. All throughout the Old Testament, we see patterns and cycles of God's people sinning and rebelling against God. 
and God constantly using weak people to, to rescue and save his people. And so we have a description of a, of a man who is very much an unlikely hero, Ehud. Now, Ehud was a warrior. They say he was the son of Gera the Benjaminite. And the tribe of Benjamin was recognized in Israel as the warrior tribe. The word Benjamin actually means the son of the right. And so Benjaminites are being described as right-handed warriors. And yet the author here describes Ehud as left-handed. The actual translation says that he was restricted in his right hand. And so the very quality that a warrior and a leader and a representative and a deliverer and a savior would actually need, Ehud didn't have. Ehud was left-handed. And so that means most likely his community did not see him as a good leader or a qualified leader to represent the entire nation of Israel, to lead them out of the oppression. And yet God does use him. Ehud was restricted in his right hand. He was left-handed. And since Ehud was left-handed, because he was weak, that's the very reason why he was able to hide his weapon and get to the king. Now imagine Eglon the king looking at Ehud, this weak man, this man who doesn't look like a conventional warrior. He must have not seen any threat when Ehud came into his presence. But it was the fact that Ehud was left-handed that he was able to put his dagger in his right thigh. When you came into the presence of a king or royalty, you're going to get searched. They're going to do everything they can to protect that king. And yet, most likely, his servants and his guards probably would not have checked his right thigh because most people were right-handed. An assassin, a warrior, a soldier would be drawing his weapon from his left thigh with his right hand. And so it was the very thing that made Ehud weak that allowed him to bring the weapon to slaughter the king. It was Ehud's weakness that allowed him to carry out God's mission. Ehud understood the assignment. He most likely was not looked at by his community as somebody who could carry out a mission of freedom. He was overlooked. He was uh, not really viewed as a threat to the enemy. And this is a, a pattern that we see all throughout Scripture, where God raises those who are weak and those who are unlikely to be heroes and uses them to show off his power and glory. In fact, when we look back, we see that God used Noah to really save all the living creatures throughout the earth when the flood came. And Noah was a drunk, and he got so drunk that he laid naked in front of his sons. Abraham tried to pimp out his own wife, Sarah, and yet he's considered as the father of nations. Moses committed murder and fled away out of fear. He had a speech impediment, and yet he spoke boldly against Pharaoh and Egypt and their slavery on Israel, and he led them to freedom. God used King David, who was a shepherd boy, who had no kingly qualities, and called him to be king. And he used David mightily, even though David was a sinner. David committed adultery and conspired for murder. 
Friends, we see all throughout Scripture that God uses the most weakest people to bring about good, that his presence is for sure working in our brokenness and in our weakness. In fact, when we look around in this community, we see that happening right now. I am somebody standing here on a pulpit preaching to you, but best believe I'm one of the weakest people that you will ever meet. Somebody who came up fatherless with no father in a single mother home, poor, broke, not graduating high school, only to become a heroin addict, and one day being saved by grace and coming to you here as a minister of the gospel. Now, if those things never happened to me in my life, I would not be here. God used my brokenness, my weakness, to bring me to the point where I've been redeemed. And did you know even today I still fail? I wake up every morning failing as a husband, and yet my wife still loves me. It's amazing. I conduct myself every day failing as a pastor, and yet I get to see people and witness and experience all the renewal that's happening in their lives. Friends, if these things have never happened, if my weakness, if my brokenness, if the things that are messed up about me weren't there, if God didn't expose them and use them, he would not have brought me where I am today. And the same goes for you. That your weakness, your deficiencies, your restrictions are not taking away from your humanity. It's giving you some. God doesn't love you because you're strong, because you're competent, because you have so much to offer him. He loves you because he has a lot more to offer to you. Friends, embrace your neediness. Embrace your weakness. That means right now, if you're feeling overlooked, if you feel like nobody is noticing you, know that God does. If you feel like you're always being passed up, for someone better, someone who looks better, someone who's smarter, somebody who's more competent, know that God will use you in amazing ways. The story of Ehud is teaching us that we can stop covering over our weaknesses. That's what we tend to do. When we see deficiencies or restrictions or weaknesses in our lives, we cover them up. But when you think about it, when you cover something up, you're literally placing a barrier between your weakness and the rest of the world. And so any work that God is trying to do through your weakness, he can't even get to it because you're blocking him. In Genesis chapter 3, it's a story that we all know, or most of us may know. Um, we had the story of, of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, rebel against God. And in their rebellion, um, they, they eat from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. And um, the consequence of their rebellion is that they are in shame and they feel naked. And so what they do is they, they go around the garden and they find some fig leaves and they cover over their nakedness. And 
the reality is um, that really is a depiction of what we do today. We're constantly covering over our weaknesses, our shame, our nakedness. And yet, in the Garden of Eden, God, out of his mercy and his grace, comes down to them, and he gives them real covering. He slaughters an animal and gives them animal skin to cover over their nakedness. God's so gracious that even when we cheat against him, when we rebel against him, when we continue to fall into sin over and over and over again, he still gives us the protection that we need. Friends, stop trying to cover over your weakness. Embrace it. It's the quality that God is attracted to. Now, I do want to say there are two different types of weaknesses that we have to recognize. One of the weaknesses that I'm referring to right now is um, what you would call competencies and qualities. You know, some of us, you know, feel ugly. Some of us don't feel like we're smart people. Some of us feel like uh, we've been overlooked all of our lives because we don't have worldly qualities that most of the world is attracted to. And, and Scripture is teaching us right now, right here, that we have to embrace the fact that those things are not what gives us our identity. We have to be okay with that. But then there's another side of weakness where it's our sinfulness. Our sinfulness that we tend to not let anybody see because it's so private to us and we want to hold on to it so dearly and we don't want nobody to say nothing about it. Our weakness, our sinfulness, our brokenness, our rebellion against God needs to get exposed. Friends, this is what community is all about. We need people who love us and who care for us in ways that God does. And the thing is, God loves us so much that he doesn't want to just leave us where we are. And so he sends us people to work through our weaknesses, work through our brokenness, and work through our sin. And so he's called us to stop covering up. In fact, he's also called us to stop being attracted to the right-handed strong people. He's called us to move towards those who are weak, those who are broken, those who are deficient and restricted. One of the main reasons why we're not drawn to those type of people is quite frankly because similar to Eglon, those people have nothing to offer us. And so we just use them as an object of our own personal agenda of what we want for our own lives. And so we're constantly trying to make new friends who um, actually raise up our status, uh, puts, gives us a crown, and makes us sit on a throne that's higher and above everybody else. And so we're always drawn to those who are talented, those who are beautiful, those who are gifted, those who are skilled those that have um, relational currency, if you will, those who will make you socially rich. We're constantly pursuing those people, and yet Judges 3 is telling us to embrace the weak, embrace the overlook, see them, know them, love them.
So we arrive to the final point, the escape. God raises up a rescuer and a deliverer for Israel, even though they didn't deserve it. They cried out to him, and, they, and God raises up an unexpected and unlikely hero. And because of his weakness, because of his left-handedness, he was able to bring the weapon to the oppressive and evil king. He kept the blade hidden. Although Ehud was weak physically, he was strong mentally because the text never says that he planned this strategy with anybody else. He actually was able to come up with this plan, make the dagger himself, hide it in his thigh, and get to the king. It was actually Ehud's weakness that allowed him to think through some of these things. And so Ehud arrives to the king. He presents a tribute to him. He comes back and tells him he's got a secret message. The servants leave. Eglon is alone. Ehud gets the blade from his right thigh with his left hand, plunges it into the king's belly, and the king dies. Now, the king is left alone in this room, and Ehud has the time and the space to escape. The servants didn't even bother to check and see what was going on in the room. They just assumed that he was in the bathroom relieving himself. They feared the king, and they didn't view Ehud as a threat. And so it was the king's strength and his power, as well as Ehud's weakness, that not only allowed Ehud to conduct the assassin, but also to get away. And so now Ehud went out the back door, and he goes and he travels to the people, God's people, his people. And he blows a trumpet and he says, look what God has done. Follow me for the Lord has given, you, given your enemies over to you. He recognizes that it wasn't his own strength. It wasn't his own abilities. It wasn't his own strategy. It wasn't his own skill that, that he escaped. It was the Lord. It was God. It was God that raised up Ehud. It was God that protected Ehud when he was in the king's castle. It was God that was with Ehud as he plunged the dagger into the evil king. It was God who allowed Ehud to escape from that room. And now it was God that had freed the Israelites. Now, we have to remember, nothing much has changed outside of the king actually dying. Moab still had a large and powerful army. And yet the moment that Moab's representative was taken down and killed, the Israelites had defeated Moab. Their army was still strong, but God's people needed a little bit of, needed a little bit of empowerment to get the work that they were called to done. Moab's representative was taken down by Israel's representative. Right after, Israel takes over Moab, kills all the soldiers, doesn't let one, a single one live. And it says that Israel had peace for 80 years. Now, Eglon, when he took over Israel, he ruled over them for 18. And yet when Israel was raised up, fought back, and found their freedom and was liberated, they were at peace for 80 years. Friends, the work of God working in your life, liberating you, freeing you through your weakness, 
is so much more in comparison to any evil that might be ruling over your life right now. Ehud was used in his weakness. Ehud was used to rescue God's people. After Ehud kills the king, he leaves the king's castle and goes to God's people and he says, follow me. For the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. And although uh, Ehud was was weak, although he was left-handed, he struck down the king. Ehud is recognizing and accrediting, accrediting this victory to the Lord. The story of Ehud and the deliverance of God's people was just a foreshadowing of the deliverance and salvation and liberation and freedom that was going to come through another rescuer and savior who came down in weakness. Friends, this is just a foreshadowing and a foretelling of what was to come centuries later through Jesus. Jesus was the true and righteous king. He was perfect. He had no evil. Yet he humbled himself in weakness by becoming human. And there he came down as a serving king. He dwelled with his people. He dined with them. He loved them. He cared for them. He met their practical needs. But he didn't just do that. Jesus was sent down to be our own deliverer and savior. He came down and although he was a king and a ruler, he didn't rule with oppression. He ruled to liberate his people. And he did that by taking on a cross. He took on a cross for you and for I, for myself. He took on a cross demonstrating the most perfect weakness. He took on a cross by becoming the ultimate sacrifice. He took on a cross by becoming the ultimate sign of the covenant, torn apart from his father so that we can have access to him. He came down in weakness to become the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. That even though we continue to rebel, even though we continue to live in a cycle of sin, that forgiveness never changes. It's always available to you. No matter what your year has looked like, no matter what your month has looked like, no matter how much you've been living in rebellion this entire week and even in this day, God's grace has been afforded to you because the king has died. Friends, this is the good news that we can live in. This is the reality that we have a deliverer and rescuer that was better than Ehud and yet demonstrated an even greater weakness by dying, dying on a cross for us. Friends, we have to stop working for right-handed victory and embrace the left-handed salvation that God has given us. I stole that from Pastor Donnie, by the way. That was real good. (laughs) When you follow Jesus, when you trust Jesus, when you center your life on the redeeming work of Jesus, you can embrace your weakness. You're finally able to be okay with your deficiencies. You're finally going to be okay with your restrictions and the things that you feel like uh, make you look overlooked. Rather, now you can put them on full display. You can be honest with it. You can be transparent with who you are. 
You can bring in those who are weak, just like you. You can, you can finally have poise. You can have confidence, not in your circumstances, not in your pursuits, but in your identity as a child of God. Your identity doesn't need to be wrapped up as a husband or a wife, a father, a doctor, someone who has options, somebody who works for corporations and makes a lot of money. Your identity isn't built on your looks or how many followers you have on Instagram or how many likes you can get on a post. Your identity isn't wrapped up in how many friends you have or how accepted you are in a community that you're a part of. Embrace your weakness. Find your identity in your weakness. Because where you are weak, God is strong. And his full power and glory will be on display. Let's pray.